Hi, everyone. Dr. Tim and Hillary here for another Dr. Tim's Aquatics podcast. And uh, I think last time, Hillary, you put the call out. Is there some topic that someone wanted to hear us talk about? And you got a response about coral feeding, right? Yes, we did. Thank you to everybody that responded to that. We love getting your input on stuff. So it very much helps us to decide on what we do. So this is a presentation I gave a few years ago at the Aquatic Medicine Seminar that it's put on every year at the Shark Reef Aquarium at Mandalay Bay. It's usually a bunch of vets or vet techs or pe people that work at public aquariums, a three-day workshop. It's a lot of fun. And um has been going on since COVID, but 2024, they're starting it again. Um, this is not a free event or open to the general public. It's a limited workshop, but it's uh, it's really interesting. You meet people from around the world for three days of talks and conferences and things like that. And so this is a talk I gave a few years ago on coral nutrition. Basically, how do corals feed? And I think, and I hope you'll find it interesting. So basically, at first, we understand the coral morphology. Um, I won't go through all this. The main thing is that they do have what's considered a stomach and a digestive filament. They have their inside their tentacles, the nematocyst, and then they have what's called the mouth so that they can ingest but then they also have their outer dermis and you'll see epidermis and you'll see why that's important because there's two basic ways that corals feed. I'm going to interrupt you real quick. Yep. For those of you who are listening to this, you might want to check out the YouTube version of this because there are photos that go along with what he's talking about. Yes. And I'll try to, uh, normally I don't read my slides for every word, but for this, I will, so that if you're uh, not watching the videos or the slides, that you can understand what I'm talking about. Um, so there's different feeding strategies for corals, and they can be generally grouped into autotrophic, which is the symbiotic algae provide the nutrients. So, you know, corals have the symbiotic algae that live inside the tissue. And those algae photosynthesize, as I'll talk about, and that the byproducts of that photosynthesizing uh, provide nutrients to the corals. And that's called autotrophic because basically they're getting their energy from the sunlight to the coral, to the algae, and then the corals. But then there's also heterotrophic. Now you'll notice that these are two of the same terms we often talk about with bacteria, autotrophic and heterotrophic. And it all has to do with whether you're actively feeding, that's heterotrophic, where you're ingesting food or organics, that's what food is, is organics, and breaking that down. Or with autotrophy, you're getting basically the nutrients via a, maybe a chemical reaction or what one might consider a byproduct from the symbiotic algae. So you're not actively ingesting any type of organic material. I'll go into both of these in more detail. 
So with heterotrophic feeding, you're capturing particles from the water. And you are also, corals can absorb dissolved substances directly from the water. Organic substances, they can, they can do that. So what is autotrophy? Photosynthesis from the symbiotic algae provide corals with 100% of their daily energy needs. That's energy needs. Okay? Um, the water can be deficient in nitrogen and phosphorus. Well, that can be a problem. Uh, and then with autotrophy, it's also used for respiration and mucus excretion rather than building biomass. So autotrophy provides enough nutrition to maintain the coral and for its basic daily needs to survive, but it doesn't really provide enough energy and the building blocks to build biomass. It's basically for, for maintenance. And then it is also used to translocate calcium and bicarbonate to the coral skeleton. This is what we talk about. If you're going to have a nice coral reef aquarium, you've got to maintain your calcium and magnesium levels and a certain amount of bicarbonate or alkalinity and that's going to get used or depleted from the water because the corals are using those substances to build the calcareous structure, the, 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 the hard coral structure that the soft tissue um, resides on or in. So zoanthelia, that's the symbiotic uh, algae inside the corals, transfer a variety of substances to the corals. That's glucose, fatty acids, amino acids, triglycerides, all these more complex organics and uh, amino acids that the corals need. But as I said, there's not enough of that to actually build coral tissue. So then you, and, and let's talk about photosynthesis and how that relates to your aquarium. So the zoanthelia symbiotic algae need light. And this was the real turning point in keeping corals alive and not only alive, but growing and thriving, being able to take frags and grow the corals was understanding that the lights from 35, 40 years ago, you know, the cool whites of the shops, lights, those were not providing the right wavelength for photosynthesis. Even plant lights with the red and the green weren't providing the right wavelengths through water for the corals. It all came about with, when, uh, with the actinic. They started the use of the actinic or the blue lights. That was the real turning point. So photosynthesis uses energy or photons and a pigment in the chlorophyll to convert CO2 into organic carbohydrates. So that's autotrophy converting into organics. And it's done through the Calvin cycle. Remember that, Hillary? 
It's been a while. <laughs> been a while. Basically, cell cell biology, the Calvin cycle. We are not going to go through the Calvin cycle. There will not be a test on that. But that uh, is quite interesting how how this happens. But that's the scientist in me. Um, and the final reaction, though, I won't go through the whole thing, uh, can be summarized as you're basically fixing CO2 in water, you're producing you know, carbohydrates and oxygen. And the reason I bring this up is because the carbohydrates then become energy for the corals, and then you've got the oxygen. Well, what can happen, though, is that the oxygen that's being produced via the light and then the Calvin cycle, it can be good or it can be bad. And this is one of these things where initially people start out and they put a lot of light. You know, more's better. Even if their tank is shallow, these days you can get a nice lighting systems. They put out a lot of light. They're intense. You can measure the PAR, the photosynthetic active radia uh, radiation. And the thinking is always, you know, I talk about this with skimmers, the bigger the skimmer, the better. No. Well, the same is with light. If you have the light too high, what happens is that the corals can produce too much oxygen and that can be converted to free radicals, which can damage the cells. Basically, it's what happens with, you know, coral bleaching doesn't have to be just warmer temperatures. It can be a response to too much light. And, I, and you've probably read about this, seen this in the forums where people say their corals are bleaching. And that can be due to the fact that you're putting too much light onto the corals. So too much light can equal too much oxygen, which equals too much of these free radicals, and that can cause cell damage. And what corals can do is they can eject, get you know, get rid of the uh, symbiotic zoanthelae inside them because that's what's producing this oxygen. The, the zoanthelae are photosynthesizing. If there's too much light and they're photosynthesizing too much, then you produce these free radicals, which can damage the corals. So corals can also fight this by producing antioxidants to neutralize the free radicals, but sometimes they can't do that fast enough or they can't produce enough. So the take-home message, and as I mentioned, corals can also expel the zoanthelae to reduce the whole reaction. But the take-home message is... Don't just get your nice lighting system and turn it on full blast and have all the um, channels at 100%. Think about what happens during the day. You know, sun rises, you've got the intensity slowly rising. The sun is at the, at the highest point, you know, around noon to one, you know, two. And then things start to um the intensity, the amount of light starts to reduce as the afternoon and night comes. And how high should you have your channel? Well, that all depends upon the depth of your aquarium. If your aquarium's shallow versus, say, you know, 12 to 15 inches of water depth 
versus an aquarium that's maybe 36 to 48 inches, you don't need the same intensity because the light can penetrate, a lot more light can penetrate 15 inches versus 48 inches. With me now, still Hillary? Yep. So that's why I brought this part up is, is too much can be bad. And so with Aquaria, when you're changing lights, adding lights, changing things, your corals will tell you if they're not comfortable and not doing well in these conditions. And if you, you know, change to a different lighting system, change to a different lighting regime, pay attention to your corals because it may be too intense. And so people, well, what should I do? And the problem is every tank is different because not only the depth of the tank, but how much shade through the rock work do you have in there? Do you have a top on it? Because like a glass top will take away some of this intensity. So you have to observe your, your animals, your corals to see how they react into your lighting system. There's no set, you know, one answer for all. Can I add to that? Um, so I just got a batch of new corals, I would say towards the end of October. Um, and I've been slowly bringing the light up so I can adjust my lights. And I've been like 5% increase of the blues and whites each week. Right now, I'm only at 35% power on my lights, but the corals are loving it. And it's it's cool to watch the corals because you see they're happy and they're fluffy. But when I first started up my tank, I had some old corals that I moved from one of my existing tanks. Uh, they were not happy at all to the point that I had to like move them back until I got my lights adjusted and they're happy now, but yeah, we'll right. put them under, you know, put them in a shaded area. But yeah, I, unless your tank is really deep, I rarely see a reason to have the intensities above 50%. And, and the other thing you're going to start doing is you're going to start growing lots of algae. Because remember, the cyanobacteria, photosynthetic. Dinoflagellates, photosynthetic. The green hair algae, the beard algae, all those types of things, photosynthetic. So um, long light periods, intense light periods, pretty much promote nuisance uh organisms, you know, algaes and things like that versus your corals. What now, what do you, what kind of corals do you have? Hard, soft, well, SPF? Um, hard. hard. So I've got one, the coral that had the issue was a chalice. It had way too much light. They're low light corals to begin with. And even at the lowest setting, it was struggling. But the new corals are all acans. Light is... Uh, is is not a monolithic thing. Think about you've got storms that come through the ocean. You've got changes in the periods, you know. So I'm not saying change your lights every day, but the majority of issues I think that I run into when I talk to people at Aquashell and Reefapalooza is they've got their lights way too intense, and it and more is not better when it comes to corals and feeding. Now, heterotrophy, so heterotrophy feeding can also meet 100% of the daily energy needs of corals. And, and it's considered essential for all corals because, I mean, Hillary just mentioned, there are low-light corals. There are corals that live 
50 meters of, we're doing feet, you know, 100, 100 feet, 150 feet below the surface. So some coral, and then there's certain corals, you know, that live in shaded areas. They're not all out there um, with, you know, trying to get intense amounts of sunlight in shallow water. So you have to, just like when you get a fish, we always say, you know, understand what's, what are the fish's needs? What kind of feeding does it do? The same with corals. Don't assume that all corals are exactly the same when it comes to light and feeding. And like I said, certain corals, this is their only feeding method because they're deeper water corals and you don't have the light penetration to give them an, enough of light intensity to do photosynthesis to meet all their energy needs. And, and these types of feeding are the azoanthili. There's certain corals that scientific term, which means they don't have zoanthili, but they're still considered corals. Not all corals have zoanthili. Can I confirm, you're talking about the, the NPS, non-photosynthetic corals here? Yes. Yeah. Just making sure. Sorry, scientific conference. I was gonna yes. say it, it just like it's interesting to hear the scientific terminology of like mm -hmm. these common acronyms we use. Yeah, um, and there's people that do keep that, you know, because they're keeping uh, uh, different types, you know, which is which is what's great because there's a wide variety. But yeah, the non-photosynthetic corals, and then corals in certain temporary situations, you know, you've got corals that bleach for a variety of reasons. They've lost. There's zoanthili. They can get them back, but it takes time. And so they have to switch to a different type of feeding. And I said, as I mentioned, corals that live in deep waters. Uh, and they do heterotrophy by directly taking up nutrients from the seawater. And so they can do the elements like calcium, nitrogen, phosphorus. And nitrogen is in the form, it can be ammonia, nitrate, or they can do direct absorption. So they can uh, absorb dissolved organic material, dissolved organic carbon, dissolved organic nitrogen. So what's when I say nitrogen up in the elements and then DON, dissolved organic nitrogen, well, up in the element part, that's inorganic nitrogen. That's ammonia and nitrate. There's no part of carbon in there. So those are called inorganic nitrogen. But if you look at marine snow and other dissolved organic matter, it can have nitrogen attached to it. So there's two different sources that, that can be in your tank. Um, and, and I believe I mentioned this before, the vast majority of the element phosphorus. Now, you you can't have phosphorus in your water because it'll. I mean, it's one of those things you put it in your hand; it'll burn your hand. It's phosphate in different forms of phosphate, but the only type of phosphate that we can measure in your in an aquarium easily is what's called SRP or soluble reactive phosphate. That's the has the chemical formula PO43 minus. That's what your test kit measures. But studies have shown that that's only one or two percent of the total phosphate in your aquarium. Phosphate is a very sticky molecule. It loves to stick to organic substances. 
And in order to measure that, you actually have to have like a, a you know, there's there's equipment for this, for the DOC, dissolved organic carbon, you have to get a $35,000 machine. Or for the nitrogen and phosphorus, you have to do what are called Sheldahl uh, reactions, which are these digestions that you do with acids and at high temperatures to be able to break that phosphate or nitrogen off the organics and then measure it. And we don't do that in aquariums. So, but there's a, there's a huge reservoir pool of these materials or there can be in your aquarium. So when people say, well, how can I get all this, you know, nuisance, this cyano and all these nasty things because my phosphate is zero. No, your soluble reactive phosphate is zero. That doesn't mean there's no phosphate in your aquarium. Is, Sorry, is, go ahead. Is, so you said that there would need to be really fancy testing equipment. Is this something that um, like the IP, hmm, ICP tests would show or? Nope. The... Nope. That's a big fallacy with the ICP test. The ICP test will show you your total phosphorus because it's measuring an element, right? But where that phosphorus is coming from. Okay, it comes from the DNA. DNA, all all living organisms, animals, plants, bacteria, everybody has phosphate. So you might get a high phosphate in these tests because uh, they're starting to do them now. But where did it come from? It doesn't mean that it's active because if it's inside the animal, it's not available. The animal would have to die or the bacteria would have to die and get decomposed to release that phosphate. Or if it's stuck to something because nobody pre-filters their sample. So you've got all this material in there and you've got all this dissolved organic material in the sample that can all be contributing to the total phosphate. So you don't know where it's coming from is, is the issue. That make that answer your question, Hillary? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, there, there's lots of different sources for phosphorus in your aquarium. Some of it available, some of it not, until things start to break down. Um, and then there's particulate organic material. So dissolved is the stuff that discolors the water. It's material that will pass through a very, you know, very small, like a, a 200 or 0.2 micron filter which is generally used if you're trying to filter out all organic plus bacteria. I mean, if, if you take 0.2 micron filter and put your seawater sample in there, you're going to have an impossible time to push the water through that because there's a lot of stuff in there. A particulate organic material, that's the marine stuff. That's all that debris that you can see that can be trapped by your micron filter, your sponge filter, your blue pad and things. The, the roller filter, don't do anything to remove dissolved organic material, but they will dissolve, is, uh, remove particulate organic material, which can be good, can be bad. Um, and then the corals then can take up uh, nutrients from seawater through active feeding. I mean, as the chart, as the diagram showed earlier, they have a mouth, they're pumping seawater through their system, and they are taking up zooplankton, but they're also taking up a lot of bacteria because the water's full of bacteria. And then 
you've got the marine snow, you know, this rich mixture of bacteria and protozoa and all sorts of things that are stuck to the organics that are, and that's dead and decaying material. And marine snow can be a huge component of coral feeding. And I bring all this up because I want to, of course, bring it back to how this relates to aquariums. Well, think about what, what we do. But first, let's look, you know, we talk about amino acids. And this is a study, there's references at the end of this, um, but this is a, a certain coral that has an uptake, uptake of different types of amino acids where they can get that through those different feeding materials because they do need amino acids. Everything needs amino acids. Um, and if you start looking at where the nitrogen comes from, because as I've mentioned many times, all living organisms need carbon, nitrogen, and phosphorus. Okay? And so in this study, looking at nitrogen sources for certain coral in the wild, it shows that the majority of the nitrogen came from ammonia or nitrate, that's inorganic sources, versus organic sources of nitrogen, like amino acids. Um, and so if you're feeding amino acids and your corals aren't doing that well, well, maybe these are corals that get their nitrogen more from organic sources like ammonium or nitrate. In fact, um, who's the guy? He's a moderator on Reef to Reef. He's a chemistry professor. But, but he advocates adding to your coral tank a little bit of ammonia, which, which is theoretically a great idea because the corals can uptake that ammonia to get their nitrogen. The issue I have with that is, as we talked about with lighting and protein skimming, everybody wants to just get ahead. Well, if I've got to add this, why don't I add 10 times this or 100 times this? And we're talking about a small amount. Yeah. So um, and when you tell people, maybe you want to add ammonia and nitrate to your coral tank. What? I'm trying to get rid of all that, <laughs> but not necessarily. And where does that ammonia and nitrogen come from in a coral reef? In a coral reef, well, it comes from nitrification. It comes from the, the mineralization. The breakdown of organic material produces ammonia. You're taking the complex organic nitrogen and breaking it down into inorganic nitrogen, which is basically debris into ammonia. So corals can feed in a variety of ways and get their nutrition from a variety of sources. So let's take a time out for a minute. So, and you can bring this back to how this relates to your aquarium. So corals basically are living in a big bowl of soup that contains a wide variety of substances, natural coral reefs. But as aquarists, we've always been, you know, taught, you know, filter the water, filter the water, basically make the water sterile. We run our protein skimmers 24, seven, 365. Bigger is better. You know, get a big skimmer and run that sucker all the time. And now, you know, ozone in bigger aquariums, 
uh, activated carbon to get rid of organics, UV to break down organics, fine filtration, you know, sand filtration, roller filters, protein skimmers, micron um, uh, filter socks. And then, of course, keep your ammonia, your nitrate, and your phosphate, everything at, you know, zero, 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 zero. That's sterile water. Corals don't live in sterile water. And, and that's why when the person suggested this talk, I think, why don't we do this? Because I want to give the message that corals don't live in sterile seawater. They live in a soup. And it doesn't mean your aquarium water has to be cloudy or dirty. It just means if your corals aren't doing well, if they're not colored up well, if they're just looking you know, sad, unhappy, I'll be anthropomorphic, that's okay. Maybe your water's too clean and they're not getting the food that they need. Because right? we hear it all the time, right, Killary? You know, oh, yeah, all the time. <laughs> all the time. Just, you know, put all this, I'll put all this stuff on the water and make it super clean and then try to keep corals in sterile water. Counterproductive. It's just not going to happen. It's going to cause you a big headache. Yes. So, um, and then feeding, you know, feeding brine shrimp. Uh, this is a study that was done feeding brine shrimp nopili to uh, corals. And uh, so they fed live, non enriched Artemia nopili, brine shrimp, scientific name Artemia. They, they uh, fed a instant baby brine shrimp. This was a pasteurized commercial product. Um, and then they, they, had live Selco enriched. Uh, Selco is a, a brand of um, enrichment that you can feed the brine shrimp. And then also uh, Selco enriched Nopuli with some antibiotics. And uh, then they, they fed these to uh, non-photosynthetic. How's that? Rhizoanthelia corals. That way, that way, they're looking at the feeding of the brine shrimp and how that's affecting the corals versus baby photosynthesis, which would you know confound the experiment because they can photosynthesize. And what they were able to show is, you know, the the nopuli per palp. So this is the consumption you're looking at, and basically. The not live non-enriched, the corals uh, consumed more of those, but there wasn't basically a, a huge significant difference um, amongst amongst them. Feeding was pretty much the same. Uh, but the live non-enriched was the most preferred. Uh, the the brine shrimp that were basically sterile, they didn't have any of the selco that weren't medicated with the selco. They were the lowest. And the thinking was that there might be something missing that triggers a feeding response. Um, and they really weren't sure while the other two didn't, you know, um, enrichments didn't have the same feeding rate as the non-enriched. They didn't come to a conclusion. You know, science doesn't always give you a conclusion. It just gives you more questions. And you might think, well, this is you know, my hypothesis, but the data shows something different. Then you got to rethink things. 
So uh, just because you enrich, maybe it's not something the corals want. You know, it's not a preference. So, you know, a lot of people want to enrich, but maybe what we're feeding them is not what they want. So what's missing in the feed? Basically, bacteria provide the major source of nutrients to corals. They can be ingested directly by corals. They can be trapped in the mucus that corals produce, and then the, the bacteria ingest that mucus, so they're ingesting that bacteria. It's basically like a big, giant you know, fishing net that they're capturing these bacteria in. The mucus itself is organic and start to produce bacteria. Being offline, Hillary and I were talking about sourdough and the bacteria that are in it, and it what it, what it, how it changes the sourdough, and the bacteria feed on the sourdough and the yeast feed on the sourdough to give the sourdough that particular flavor. Well, that's the same thing. Mucus is organic, and bacteria are going to break down and, and feed on that organic, which then they get ingested by the corals. I've, I've shown this paper many times. This the Feldman paper with Sanjay. It showed that protein skimmers remove a large amount of the bacteria from the water. And when you not only that, it they were uh, selective. There, what type of bacteria were left did not uh, the ratio. You know, say you had ten different species at a certain ratio. When you turned the skimmer on, it turned out that it removed, and I don't remember the exact number, but it removed like say eight of those. And the small amount of bacteria that was left was concentrated in just one or two species, rather than a lot of different species. Uh, and the bacterial counts in natural aquariums were significantly lower than in natural seawater. And this is the point that I, that I always talk about is that we are artificially creating these deserts and then trying to grow these corals in these seawater deserts. And that is the number one feeding problem and health problem with corals. So, so we need filtration but how can its effect on corals be minimized? You know, what can we do? Because we, we, we don't want a cloudy uh, tank and dirty tank. So size of the feed matters. Just because you offer it doesn't mean they're going to eat it. They have preferences. We're talking about different corals. Uh, I, I don't have any problem with the different zooplanktons and things like that. But they're not an exclusive only food. Water flow. The azanthilly uh, soft corals, there has, you know, water flow has been shown to be important, but that's still, you know, the same with photosynthetic corals is that water flow is very important. They live where there's lots of current. Timing of feeding, this is super important. In nature, zoanthili migrate up to the surface of the corals at night, and, and the corals have adapted to this feeding at night. The corals come out, you've, you've seen it even when they're spawning. They don't spawn during the day. They spawn during the night. The corals, um, I don't know what's the word, Hilly, where the, you know, the corals expand and tentacles come out and they're trying to grab as much food as they can. Well, that's just done at night. That's why I, saw, I always feed your corals at night. That's their natural period of feeding. Um, external, external coral feeding. 
Well, you can have where di the, the digestion occurs outside of the corals. That's like the mucus. And these are filaments that can fire and capture prey that then secrete digestive enzymes and then ingest the corals. There are certain corals that do that. Now, there's a picture here that I'm showing, and it's from a video that shows a time lapse of these corals that are extruding these extrasolinthric substances that are basically, you know, uh, out there trying to capture and, and they can actually fire, say, spears, but that's not really what it is. But they, they can actively go out and capture material and then ingest that back into the corals. Are those? So, so, go ahead. Sorry, are that that material is that digestive gut tissue that they're spitting out? Uh, is it? It's part of it, but it's is it mucus? Is it the gut material? I'm not clear on what that is to tell you the truth. Gotcha. Yeah, but sometimes I'll, I'll go back and I'll show that picture. But sometimes I'm going too fast. Sorry. People think that there's something wrong with their coral, like they're coming apart or something like that. But this this doesn't show it, and I could try to find the video if you wanted, Hilly. But it, it these are tentacles that come out, and they're a group, and they're just like this big, you know, multi this hydra that's out there, and it's it's contacting and then capturing these prey materials. And then they, you know, break it down. They secrete enzymes and can break the material down. And then the, the corals um, reabsorb this material through their mouth. I guess, like, I'm not, I guess it makes sense that, like, it would be associated with feeding. I've seen this sort of behavior in coral warfare when it's too close. It's the aggressive species when they're too close to another coral to, like, spit this out and, like, basically oh, yeah, kill yeah. off their neighbor. I don't know if they eat their neighbors, but. I've Probably similar behavior. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're not passive <laughs> for space. So, is what your you know some strategies to consider about feeding your corals as we as we finish up? Um, is what you're feeding your corals correct? N you know, nothing just zooplankton. Not all corals in just zooplankton. So it's kind of like when we talk about feeding fish. You need variety and you need to understand your corals. So um, just, you know, keep an eye out. If things aren't looking good, consider that you're not feeding correctly. Got bacteria. Full disclosure, of course, you all know I'm a microbiologist. It's what I've been doing. It's what I preach. But bacteria rule the world. They rule the, the ocean, the land. They are the basic building blocks of every food web. And you just have to realize that corals and bacteria have grown up and evolved together in the ocean and bacteria are a prime food source for corals. If your corals bleach, well, you it doesn't mean the end. You can help them, but it doesn't, you know, it does they can no longer feed autotrophically, right? They can't get their nutrients internally from the symbiotic zooanthili because they've bleached and they don't they have to reacquire the zooanthili. So you've got to increase the heterotrophic, which means yes, you can add more zooplankton, but maybe some marine snow, maybe some organic material, some amino acids that they can absorb 
You know, you're a variety of things. No one thing is going to work 100%. So you've got to do a variety to make up uh, for the loss of the autotrophic feeding. Alternate schedules. Uh, your protein skimmer removes a lot of feed. So you can almost say it's my middle name. Turn the skimmer off at night when you're dosing your corals. Uh, we, we have a recipe card for that on coloring up your corals. It's basically gut feeding um, bacteria with amino acids and then dosing a little bit. And that's the key. A little bit frequently is a whole lot better than just pouring a lot in one at a, you know, one time. Okay. It takes time uh, for this to look good. Like Hillary, you were talking, it took, you said October, so it took six weeks for your corals to really start looking good. Eight weeks? Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it takes time. You just have to have patience. Number one thing, got to have patience with your marine aquariums, with all your aquariums. Okay. And so that's really, you know, here I'm talking about some different references that you can look up. There's a lot more. But the idea behind this was to give you just an introduction that corals are not monolithic. There's different types of corals that feed different ways, even within the, the photosynthetic corals. And if your corals are not looking good, if your tank is full of nuisance, you, you can go down the path of adding chemicals and try to defeat it that way. But why not step back and, and take a cue from nature? Maybe I can do this a little more naturally using feeding and bacteria, make the tank look better, make the you know, help the corals look healthier, and everybody wins in the end, and it's going to be a lot less hassle for Questions, Hillary, since you're the only one here that can ask them. <laughs> no, <laughs> but everybody I, can leave questions, right? They can they can exactly. leave questions. Yeah. So if you've got questions, leave them in the comments, send us an email. Be happy to answer or expand on this. Yeah. So this this was uh to to kind of, you know, get people interested and in, and in generate more questions. We always like more questions and um maybe your experiences, like if like uh if you're doing the uh non-photosynthetic corals, how are you feeding? And, and you know, Hillary talked about what she's doing. Um, there's no reason corals can't survive, thrive, live. We have this all the time, but, but you have to be feeding them the correct things. And so I just wanted to give a quick introduction into the different types of feeding strategies that corals use. And, and maybe you can take some of that home and apply it to your tank. I kind of want people to send us photos of their tanks now so I can see everybody's corals. Yeah. Before and after or what you're doing and uh, share, you know, we, we learn a lot by uh, what people are doing and, and uh, it's, it's a lot of fun to learn new things. So. Always. That's the best part. One of the best parts about this hobby is it's always changing and growing and. Yeah. So what you're doing might, you know, there's no, maybe wrong thing. There's just different ways of, of approaching it. And then base, it's always best to uh, try to understand. That's what I'm trying to do here is some basic coral feeding biology and how you can relate that to your aquarium to make things look better. So, okay. As we said, questions, we love them, comments, pictures, sharing. It's all good. And if you have more topics, please write us. 
and uh, we'll try to cover it in another session of the Dr. Tim's Aquatics podcast. For now, uh, it's Dr. Tim and Hillary, and we appreciate you listening.